0: The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading.
1: Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we
0: saw mostly lower action in the grains and oil seeds on the day Monday with a mixed bag, trying to find some strength in the cattle markets on the day Monday as well. We're going to talk about what is moving and not moving here in the market trade as we near the end of January on today's Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here on the show. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We have plenty to get to here on our program today as, again, this grain market uh, tried a little bit to grind off the lows, but l- a lot of headwinds in front of the grain and oilseed trade here as we begin the week with headlines over the weekend and more news expected in front of us here this week. So, a lot to get to, and we're going to talk about it all on today's show. John Heinberg with Total Farm Marketing. He's going to be joining us coming up here in segment three today and giving us his thoughts and perspective on what we're seeing in the markets overall. As again, a lot of headwinds in front of these markets, including news out of China with Evergrande Group being told by Hong Kong Corp that they need to start liquidating assets to pay off their debt. That's an issue in this market trade. We have increasing Middle East tensions as well with attacks on U.S. forces that are a backdrop uh, to these markets and a headwind as well. We also are watching a lot of economic data set to be released here this week, including the Federal Reserve meeting on Tuesday and Wednesday. Not expecting much in the way of changes to economic policy here this month as the Fed Fund futures expecting a 50-50 chance of a rate cut in March, but nonetheless, uh, that is just one piece of economic data. We have a bunch of reports out this week, including non-farm payrolls and more, so we're going to dive in and talk about all of that coming up here on today's show. Again, John Heinberg with Total Farm Marketing is going to join us and give us his perspective on the markets here in just a little bit. Also, we are going to take a look at weather. That's another piece of the puzzle here in the markets, especially watching South American weather. We're going to get an update on what lies ahead for both North and South America as we roll into the month of February here later this week. Eric Snodgrass with Nutrient Ag Solutions will join us for our weekly weather conversation looking forward to that discussion again coming up here in just a little bit. He'll join us in segment two today. So a lot to get to uh, here on the program. Let's kick things off and get some market analysis from Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist at StoneX. Arlen joined us around midday on Monday and gave us his thoughts in this trade, including the China News, the Evergrande Group. He provides some perspective on that and how it could impact commodities. We talk about the middle east situation a little bit in there as well along with the economic news set to release throughout the week here this week in the u.s and we get some thoughts in the livestock trade too as cattle and hogs largely tried to find some green on the screen monday cattle especially ahead of the biannual cattle inventory report that's set to be released on wednesday after the close so Let's dive in and get some thoughts here with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X, from our midday commentary on Monday, starting with Arlen's thoughts on the grain trade and some of the headwinds and the news headlines from over the weekend.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of headlines over the weekend, and and it was interesting to see headlines out of China trumping the headlines out of the Middle East. And I say in the Middle East, we had... A, uh, a drone attack on U.S. forces in Jordan that killed three service members, U.S. service members, and injured at least 34 others. And then we had another um, Houthi-led attack on uh, a tanker ship in the Red Sea where they had to extinguish the fire. So both those things you would have expected to have been supportive of the, of the commodities, especially the energy commodities. But in fact, that all got trumped by a story from China china's world's largest importer of commodities of all kinds and uh, one of its biggest economic problems right now is its property sector and one of its largest property companies the evergrand group uh, which has been in financial trouble for the last 18 months been trying to re- renegotiate a payment plan for its uh debtors and finally a court in hong kong Uh, today said enough is enough liquidate your assets to pay your bills and they have about 300 billion dollars worth of liabilities to pay off so that can dump more property onto the Chinese property market at a time when it's already depressed and could cause other property companies to go under as well. And that raises concerns about demand for commodities going forward. So, we saw some headwinds for the commodity sector today, virtually pushing most of the grain and oil seed and the energies, as well as even the meats, early on into negative territory. Although, we have seen some of those commodities come back into positive territory midday.
0: Arlen, I know, too, in front of the markets here this week, we have a lot of economic data set to be released. We have the Fed meeting as well. Not expected to see any monetary policy changes. That seems like that's being reserved for potentially the March meeting. But still, nonetheless, uh, plenty of outside market news here at the U.S. set to impact the markets potentially this week
2: yeah absolutely the federal reserve meeting releases its statement at 1pm uh, chicago time on wednesday afternoon with a press conference with the federal reserve chair Jerome Powell 30 minutes later and uh, what the wall street's going to be looking for is not a change in this meeting's policy but evidence that we may see a pivot in policy at future meetings the market hoping to get a rate cut in the march meeting i don't think that's going to happen um but we'll see what the fed says whether it puts that to rest or not but that could create volatility we also have a big jobs report coming out On Friday of this week, uh, the monthly jobs report from the government, which also could have big implications following up on that Fed policy and uh, future direction and whether money flow is going to be excited about the commodities going forward or disappointed.
0: Over in the livestock trade, we mentioned cattle and hogs uh, trying to find a little bit of green here on Monday's trade. Cattle, we got a a big biannual cattle inventory report coming up here on Wednesday after the close. And I got to think a lot of trade this week is going to be focused on what that report gives us here midweek.
2: Yeah, and perhaps some of our strength we're getting is from expectations that report's going to confirm another year of significant contraction in our cow herd as weather and negative profit margins continue to weigh on this industry and we continue to shrink the cow herd. We had thought that maybe we would be able to start rebuilding that breeding herd in the fourth quarter of last year, but the weather did not improve in time to do that. So now we're looking ahead to the fourth quarter of this year. Things will get even tighter when we do as we start retaining heifers and um, slowing the slaughter of cows. So that's ahead of us, and so we're starting to build some long ownership. The funds have been short building sold positions in nearly the entire commodity complex over the last year and a half in a commodity deflation mode. The exception has been the protein sector, Um, but they did liquidate much of their ownership of of the cattle market. They're starting to rebuild it. Same thing in the hog market as well. And so now we see just how far they'll go with it for a better cash trade last week than what was expected, generally up $1 to $3 on the week.
0: And once again, that's comments with Arlen Suderman from StoneX in our midday commentary on Monday. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at weather. What lies ahead for North and South America as we move into the month of February? We'll talk with Eric Snodgrass from Nutrient Ag Solutions next here on Market Talk.
3: Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube.
4: If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand.
1: The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen.
0: Well, it is hard to believe that we are already almost wrapping up the month of January in 2024. we got to talk about how the weather situation has evolved here in the early part of the year, where it could be going as well as spring planting in the u.s is definitely not too far away also to touch on south american weather conditions and more joining us for a conversation eric stodgrass principal atmospheric scientist with nutrient ag solutions eric good to talk with you again hope you had a good weekend and you know for the most part looked like the weekend uh, mild across much of the u.s fairly quiet start to our work week here as we look to round out the month of january and that's kind of a I think one of the headlines as to what January has given us at least the last few days here anyway.
5: Yeah, I I would add one more word onto that, or two more words, foggy and sloppy, right? I mean, we just had so much (laughs) fog last week uh, with the January thaw that came through with all that snow on the ground. We just saturated the lower atmosphere, and it was just... I don't know about you, ma'am. I don't feel like I've seen the sun in like 10 days and I'd like to see it. I understand you're going to Orlando though. So you're going to win this whole race to seeing the sun uh, battle uh, because I will (laughs) end up going. uh, I'm not going there. Well, wait, I'm going to Reno later this week for a big conference. I will see the sun out there, I hope. But uh, anyways, yeah, it's been uh, it's been wet. So let's think about where it's been wet, and where it's been not the northern plains, the upper Midwest. Like the up in michigan and then go back over to montana that whole strip has been missing out on all of this flow but you come into parts from like eastern texas all the way through the mississippi valley which down in the southern mississippi valley tremendous flooding get all the way almost to the east coast there's only a little stripe in parts of the carolinas and georgia that didn't get any rain and you've got a big section of the country that's super wet now i looked at root zone soil moisture this morning and i'll be honest with you the numbers look like they've started to make a recovery that's worth talking about. I took a sample. I just do this every once in a while. I have my own soil probe. And so I took one in the backyard because I was in an area that was in powder through December. I mean, you couldn't have, it was hard to even push it through the ground, even though the ground mm-hmm. wasn't frozen. Well, I pulled up 16 inches, and it is like mud down 16 inches, which means there's some places that imagine you cultivated that field in the fall, or not cultivated, but reindeer plow through. I mean, my goodness, you you're gonna have moisture that you're storing. So this is a good thing. It's just been really kind of gross and wet, uh, but mild. Holy cow! Today in North Dakota, they may crack 50. Tomorrow they may crack wow. 55. Which remember, 12 days ago it was a wind chill of minus 50. So (laughs) 105 degrees swing in temperatures is pretty impressive for that area. So yes, the end of January is going to be mild and we're just going to watch the West now for the next setup.
0: Well, and to your point there too, I mean, just those are temperature readings that we don't hear of in January (laughs) and February. So, I mean, looking at all of this, how does this kind of set us up here for the next, you know, I'll say months ahead. I mean, we can, we can, you know, pull that back to a couple of weeks. I know you get it past a certain amount of weeks. You can't really tell necessarily, but I mean, your view, what you're seeing, how are we kind of set up here going into February and a little beyond that?
5: Yeah. Well, just a reminder, uh, don't, we got Groundhog's Day later this week. Who cares? Just don't, (laughs) let's not give it any credit, but uh, (laughs) you know, just something that I think it's actually a fun holiday and it's a good time. And I was actually in Pennsylvania last week and I was talking to them about Groundhog's Day. And I was with a huge group of Amish folks, about uh, 600 of them. And, uh, you know, they reminded me that this is actually the time of year when groundhogs do come out of hibernation. And I said, oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was a little bit later. But that's all besides the point. The animal's not predictive in terms of forecasting the weather. But I think what I need to do is not watch Pennsylvania, but watch the other side of the country. There is a piece of the jet that's extending uh, across the Pacific with an average speed of 200 miles an hour. In fact, last night, Jesse, I watched a flight leave Seoul, South Korea that's supposed to land this morning in Detroit. And it did not take its normal great circle route. It actually went right in the heart of the winds. And for about four hours last night going across the Pacific, it had a tailwind of 200 miles an hour. So its intended flying speed was 566, but its ground speed was 766. I watched it on flight Tracker; It was so much fun. (laughs) Now, What's the point in saying that? If you get all that flow coming into the West, there's no cold air to to talk about. So we, we can't, we just cannot get cold air coming into central parts of North America if you've got the jet stream so lined out and so fast across the Pacific. So when do we get colder? It may not be until the back half of, of, of February. Mm-hmm. I think February is going to be a little drier in parts of the mid South, Midwest, Ohio Valley, a little bit, not dry, but a little drier, but wet in California, maybe wetter in the plains. That's going to be critical for winter wheat. That's going to be critical for the crops It's going to be, I think, a little bit wetter, um, you know, in parts of, um, gosh, maybe the southeast could stay wet. You know, there's a lot of things that I think are going to be good with this pattern, but I don't see it getting cold. That's for sure.
0: Has some of this recent moisture that we have seen in January, though, we've talked about this a little bit. And I know recently we've got some heavy rain in the mid-south areas and the delta the last week or so. I mean, is all of this really helping out the drought conditions? Because I know parts of the Midwest, like Iowa, you know, with that snow, plus then I think about the Delta regions, there's some there were some pretty nasty pockets of drought there. So has all of this moisture helped us greatly or just a little bit, Eric?
5: Well, one event's not going to undo all of it, but it's the right direction. I mean, it's okay. the right direction. You know, it's caused a lot of flooding. Um, I've seen some good recovery. And, so, and the river, Mississippi River's back 12 feet above low stage. You know, there's a lot of flooding in Illinois right now in our river system. I, I, I look at all of it and say, if, if we have to have a nasty winter if we want to have a great spring and summer. So mm-hmm. yeah, this volatility, I think it's a net benefit overall.
0: Okay. Let's go to South America, and I know watching Argentina, some concerns popping up there in terms of heat and dryness here late in their season, so why don't we start there, and uh, let's talk about what's the latest you're seeing in South America, Eric.
5: Yeah, I know there's a lot of talk about that. I've been seeing people say, oh, Argentina's going to get really, really hot. I I don't know if they're just looking for a story because we've got to remember Argentina's NDVI value right now is the highest it's been. The crop looks amazing. There's been moisture. So you bring in a little heat. Okay. As long as it doesn't last for like three straight weeks, then we're okay. And I don't see that happening. It's going to pop. There'll be storms that are going to happen. And the reality is is that they've been set up to handle a little bit of stress uh, going forward. Uh, Planting progress in terms of corn is a bit behind north, and we expected that. But I'll be honest, the new story that I think we're have to watch for South America isn't necessarily going to be in the short term. It's going to be out there in March and in April. There is some concern that given El Nino that we're going to see an early slowdown of the monsoon and we could have problems uh, in those areas. Uh, like we're talking Mato Grosso, Goyas, Tocantins. These are the northern and central growing areas that need that late season moisture to help the crop finish. I'm talking about Serena, the corn crop. So if I'd mm-hmm. say there's a play right now in South America, it's going to actually be corn uh rather than anything else uh so we've got to watch the end of the season now because the middle of the season i think is doing okay
0: and, and with brazil uh, right now i know they're trying to harvest soybeans and, and get ready to put that sofrito corn in the ground it, it seems like the pace of that harvest is f- still fairly on schedule eric is that kind of what you've seen and, and heard in terms of what we're dealing with with weather
5: there Yes, but that was expected, right? Because remember, remember, rewind the clock back to September. Bunch yeah. of growers got to plant early September rather than September 15th. And then their progress through the beginning of October was really fast. So that crop is done. It's Let's get it out. We expected, because the heat came on in November and December, that it's going to be the mid to late planted stuff that gets harvested much later than ever. So it's going to be funny. The curve starts off fast, then flattens out, and then picks up again at the very end. So, yeah. And by the way, we should expect some of this early planted stuff to not have good yield. It shouldn't. I mean, so if you start hearing yield numbers like backing off and backing off, I'm like, yep, well, that was the stuff that got put in early and got hit with all that heat and drought. Uh, And we don't expect good yields out of that. The question is, did the later planted stuff do better with all of the January rain that came in just in time to save some of it? And that, I think, is why I, I have the bigger play on corn right now than soybeans.
0: Good perspective to have for sure. All right, Eric, let's wrap it up for today. Any final thoughts from you uh, in terms of U.S., South America,
5: or anything else you're watching around the world in terms of weather here this week? I just make this statement. um, It'll be important to watch all energy markets. I mean, I understand there's a lot of things that affect it, but I'm thinking a lot about natural gas because right now, Central North America, very mild, and most of Europe and Russia very mild. So we have these two major population centers that have now just seen a a pretty big drop in their heating degree day or heating degree demand, uh, which means uh, what that results in in terms of consumption is going to change as well. So that'll be a good story to watch over the next couple of weeks evolve too.
0: Fantastic. Well, folks can stay up to date with the latest weather at ag-wx.com. They can also sign up for your weekly weather newsletter there as well, ag-wx.com. With that, Eric Stockgrass with Nutrient Ag Solutions. Eric, good to talk with you, and uh, we'll see you in person next week in Nashville. So looking forward to it, my friend.
5: Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun.
0: Well, once again, Eric Snodgrass there with Nutri and Ag Solutions, their principal atmospheric scientist, and he's going to be at the AgMarket.net conference uh, next week in Nashville, and I'm looking forward to being there as well. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at Monday's market action and how things wrapped up and get some thoughts from John Heinberg with Total Farm Marketing. He joins us after the break. Back with more here on Market Talk on the way right after this.
3: Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube.
4: If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand.
0: The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading.
1: Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen.
0: Well, not the best way to start the week in the market trade is we really just couldn't get things rolling on the day Monday. Plenty of headwinds out there from outside market concerns, geopolitical risks, and more. And really outside of soybean meal and hogs, uh, everything else was under pressure on the day Monday. Let's talk about it. Joining us for market analysis, John Heimberg with Total Farm Marketing. John, good to catch up with you again. And as I was mentioning really just uh kind of stuck in neutral it felt like to even reverse a little bit in the grain markets and in cattle too ended up with a, a down day in cattle i, I know a, a lot of headlines over the weekend seemingly gave us the start of the headwinds on monday and and probably continued through much of monday's session didn't they john
6: yeah very much so i mean obviously the biggest selling pressure stays in that soybean market and uh you know, we saw some uh, confirmed trade that uh, Eastern uh, importers brought some or bought some Brazilian beans, about three cargos. You know, what is happening is that harvest is ramping up very, very quickly, Nine, eleven percent done, somewhere in that range, depending on what analyst group you believe. But it's about double the five-year average. You know, it just seems like the demand is kind of falling off. Even the Chinese are kind of out of the soybean market as their soybean meal prices in China are trading at 40-month lows. You know, so I think that's just building a perfect storm. You got beans coming in, no real place for it. The premium that uh, was is there is uh, significant in terms of price compared to U.S. beans. And that's just allowing that, that type of export trade to occur probably earlier than it usually does. I mean, we've always seen a little bit of movement, but that's always in that maybe that April, May window uh, versus now. So that's a little concerning to me. I think the market definitely took that into account today. You know, we already saw the carryout go up a little bit on production at the last report. Now, if we see some increase in the import side, you know, we'll see. Three cargoes is down a lot, but it's just the sentimental factor of it all. And what the mind thinks is going on here, or at least the market thinks is going on here in terms of those beans. That just spilled over into corn, as well as some of the weather, you know, possibly coming through the, mo- the southern plains, Wait on that wheat market. It looks like we've got some good moisture getting forecasted there. Just really put us into a pretty bearish environment as now... You know soybeans got through the low from the USDA report, bean corn got within a couple pennies of that low from the USDA report. Just feels like we got some uh, further ground to slide here, unless all of a sudden we get a little bit of change in the news front.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and it seems, seems like managed money continuing to grind this market lower, John. I think uh, the notes I saw, if you combined the short position in corn, soybeans, soy products, wheat, we're at near record short. Uh, probably some of the Lowest we've seen since 2019 in the middle of the trade war, I think, was the last stat I saw something to that effect. So, you know, really, until we get something that changes the news sentiment in this market, it just feels like that managed money, that fund money is going to continue to grind this market lower, John.
6: Uh, very much so. I mean, they don't have a reason to get out other than just want to, you know, and I don't see that right now. And, you know, it's disappointing out it is this for the producer side of it and where prices are and prices can go excuse me it just feels like we're kind of in that window right now that you know there's really nothing to focus on except for demand you know the supply we got to work through we don't have any new crop news we're not seeing anything to kind of stimulate this market at all here and and so the path of least resistant uh resistance is still going to continue to be to the downside at least in this window and uh you know, other than historical values. Now, realistically, you look at some of the long-term charts, even though things are pretty disappointing here, there's still air underneath both these charts for both corn, soybeans, and obviously wheat too, that prices could easily fall into a different, another hole or another leg down if they want to, you know, the thing is we'll just have to see. So it's a a concerning market right now. I just don't have a whole lot of things that really kind of grab onto that are optimistic other than just the trend and it needs to turn uh at this time frame. So that makes it difficult for conversations on the phone, difficult for producers with supplies. What do we do? You know, you feel like prices should be higher, but you understand where we are and where we could go. Uh it's just kind of a kind of a limbo land right now talking to people in terms of what you want to do.
0: A lot of news out there that's bearish, a lot of a lot of noise out there, I should say, between China's Evergrande Group, that news over the weekend, early Monday, some worries about the Chinese economy with that big news. Uh, you throw in there the geopolitical tensions in the Middle East and the attacks over the weekend on U.S. forces and things like that. I, I feel like all of that, coupled with all the economic data we're supposed to get here this week in the U.S., uh, that all just, it, it kind of weighs on the market. And a lot of it is, a lot of it is important, but also feels slightly like talking points in in a way to where um, they're not fundamental things in this market, but yet the fundamentals continue to lean bearish as well, John, right?
6: Very much so. You know, touching on that Evergrande situation, you know, that really caused a lot of chaos when was, you know, a handful of months ago when that kind of blew up. And you know, again, it's just a reflection of where maybe the Chinese economy is. Obviously, if the Chinese economy has a cold, the rest of the world kind of has a cold. You know, they're the biggest buyer of commodities, as we all know. And if they're kind of not in the market because the economics are not there, the money is not there, you know, that's going to have rippling effects throughout. I do think that is also part of what's going on here as well. It's just over concern regarding that. You talked about the pop in crude oil to the Middle East tensions. Well, we gave that back and a nice little hook reversal to the downside today. You know, again, probably more weighing on those demand concerns. And uh, it's a concerning market right now. Again, just trying to find something positive to, to say, all right, this is a reason we can turn. It's just not coming at us other than just the length of the position on the short side and the you know, the calendar of the year. And realistically, the calendar of the year doesn't exactly dictate that right now. So, you know, now we got as we get through the next few weeks and we'll start thinking about spring, we'll start thinking about acres, and even that turned a little bit more negative over the weekend as chatter that we're gonna see, you know, with the bean prices softening the way they are, that we could see a bigger corn acre pile. Well, that's the last thing we need is carry out pushing three billion bushels next fall. You know, that'll make 450 on the board look pretty doggone good, probably given the historical price windows uh, and, you know, going forward. So, you know, for right now for producers, stay active in terms of getting a handle on those bushels that don't have a price on them. Puts aren't that expensive for short term time to ride this thing out, protect yourself a little bit here. Or if you make the sales target some calls but you know it's kind of hard to do when the market keeps sliding but somewhere in here this market will have some value not that we're going to turn around and run 70 cents higher but maybe enough we get some money flow that can cause some movement in the marketplace again
0: john talk to me about the livestock trade cattle uh started higher then broke on the day on monday i know we got that big biannual cattle inventory report coming up wednesday after the close i mean Was this a case, a good old-fashioned case of squared-up positions, or did I miss something in this cattle trade, John?
6: That's what it feels like the most to me. You know, I I was liking the way the cattle market was moving, you know, a couple days up, a couple days down, series of higher higher lows, higher highs. You know, we did that from December all the way up until about Wednesday last week. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if the retail buyer came in or somebody came in, and boom, we popped this thing up quickly, you know, kind of breaking the trend uh, a little bit. So it just felt like today after we had a fairly good start, you know, we, people pulled the trigger on some profit taking, saw some money move to the sidelines. Like I said, cattle inventory report coming on Wednesday. That one could be very, very interesting. Maybe we've priced in a lot of the positive news that's coming. You know, to me, I'm still looking at calf crop, cow breeding herd numbers, things of that nature. You know, what are we seeing on the expansion front, which I don't think is still there with the heifer numbers and the feedlot still where they are. You know, so this market just might be taking a little at risk off here as we get close to that report. Uh, and as we look to the third and fourth quarter, I think that's where we can still see some really big tightness in terms of cattle numbers. And some weakness here might actually just turn into an opportunity to rebuild some longer positions long term. So uh, but again, I think it got out a little over its skis last week with the strength and the follow through this morning. And just the money wanted to square this thing up here over the next day or so, especially going into that report.
0: Hogs found a little bit of buying on Monday, uh, but largely feel like they're kind of tiptoeing around here. Maybe even wait to see what happens in that cattle market here midweek with that big report as well, John. What do you think?
6: Yeah, you know, as cattle kind of rolled over, hogs started to get a little bit. Felt a little bit like some spread trading there, too, that maybe came into play. Uh, you know, I'm a little watching that April contract, $83, trading well above the index at 69, you know, 70 basic, 69.90. You know, so they're starting to look a little rich to me. Today was a consolidation day. We basically traded within Friday's range, you know, just wound up being a little bit on the upside. So, again, we'll have to watch the next few days here. You know, I've been talking at least about looking at some of those summer puts and getting some floor underneath that $96 summer market. You know, in this window, still don't like the supply picture, you know, going forward here for the hog side of it. So that makes me a little cautious that, you know, maybe we're getting a little overvalued here and it might be time to make sure we start building some floors. And then you mentioned that in the cattle market, too. You know, 180 April uh, April puts are not that expensive. Good way to protect yourself here. We talked about safety valve puts all during the last rally. You know, that's a a window here. We typically see some cash peak around the middle of February. You know, we get some walk back before we get the next kind of summer run. That might be a great spot to put some protection in here and protect yourself going into that report uh, with some fairly reasonable puts in terms of price.
0: John, it feels like regardless, grains or livestock here, we've been talking about this, the overall theme in this window, minimizing and managing your risk right now. I think that's what it's all about, right, John?
6: Very much so, maybe more the minimized side of it, because again, even though things are oversold a little bit in the grain or a lot in the grain side, there's still other potential downside there. So what can we do to limit the losses that we've already exposed ourselves to here with the price move? You know, and again, it's still about risk management and, and just understanding where your risks are. Look at the market situation, you know, are, is your risk to the upside, to the downside? So where do we can put our protection in? What are we willing to spend on that protection? i say it all the time in some of my presentations sometimes the cost of doing nothing is a lot worse uh than the cost of doing something to protect yourself
0: john how about that dairy market too real quick i didn't i meant to ask you about that any notes so over in dairy as we start off the week
6: well it sure feels like maybe we're trying to get ourselves a little bit of a bottom again starting that last week and now we got three strong updates in a row bearish excuse me bullish reversal on thursday last week good pop and cheese prices today, 70 or 7 cents higher 8 cents higher block barrels and blocks respect and box and barrels respectively you know so maybe it's a little bit of a bottoming point here now i'm going to be very very cautious i've said that so if you look at the timing and the charts Anytime we get these runs, they turn into very quick sell points. So as a producer, take advantage of this to some extent, make sure you're re, you know, reestablishing some floor, things of that nature, especially out into those summer months, You know, we're back above $18 for June, June milk today, You know, but we're in at least in a window here. Milk production report came out last week, milk production was softer, cow numbers continue to soften, global milk production is looking on a softer tone because of some of the price issues. So maybe this is a spot this market's done enough, Uh, but again, be cautious. Again, here we are looking at a very quick rally, picked up over a dollar in three sessions. Typically those types of moves in a downtrending market get met with quick selling pressure. So we'll have to kind of watch that going forward.
0: John, anything final from you, you want to mention or reiterate to folks today?
6: You know, again, just in terms of grains, get control of those unpriced bushels here. I'd rather be wrong with some cheap puts over the next 30 to 50 days versus just letting things go. If we do make that next leg down, the charts do point lower. Not sure if this is the window that it happens in or not. You know, then we'll see where the production numbers come in for next year. So, again, find where the value is that's out there for you to some extent. Make sure you protect it. Don't forget about 24 you know, we're still sitting at 470 out there. That could be actually a pretty good number. If we do get a big acre number, you know, start just thinking about the longer term and minimizing the risk that you have to the downside.
0: John, if folks want to reach out to you and ask questions there at Total Farm Marketing, how can they reach you?
6: Give me a call, 800-334-9779. Shoot me an email at John H. at johnh.totalfarmmarketing.com. Again, don't forget that website of ours, totalfarmmarketing.com.
0: With that, John Heimberg, Total Farm Marketing. Always good to talk with you, John. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again next week.
6: Sounds good. Have a great week.
0: And once again, John Heimberg there with Total Farm Marketing joining us for market analysis here today. Coming up next, we will wrap up Market Talk. We'll take a look at News Headlines on the way right after the break.
3: Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube.
4: If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand.
1: The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen.
0: And welcome back to Market Talk. Let's take a look at some news headlines before we wrap up the show today. Well, the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture have set the organization's primary areas of policy focus in 2024. NASDAQ CEO Ted McKinney says a new farm bill is at the top of their list
4: the primary piece of legislation that supports farmers and ranchers, supports those who need nutrition, but also brings along a lot of the structure for how industry is regulated. So of course, we're going to be very involved because we are co-regulators in our state. Most people think that EPA, FDA, USDA are the regulators, and they are. But most people don't know that a lot, I dare say most of the regulations that are instituted by Congress and then shaped by those it's all handed off to state departments of ag. So we take a great deal of interest in shaping those properly because we say with pride, we're the closest to that farmer, that rancher, that processor. So you bet we're going to be involved in any number of areas.
0: McKinney is still holding out hope that a farm bill gets done this year.
4: I'll start by saying I tend to be a bit more on the optimistic side. Life's pretty miserable if you're always negative. I think there is still a chance, but as every day goes by without getting the approval Appropriations part done. Notwithstanding, I think a strong desire to get to Farm Bill, you just lose floor time in Congress. Our view is that we really need to get this done by March and April. We know that the leadership of both the House and Senate Ag Committee want to do that, but it's floor time that's becoming the pinch point now.
0: One overlooked area of the Farm Bill that NASDA is pushing for is improving agricultural research.
4: We're putting a real push on the need for funding for research. It's important, people say that, but gosh, the last two farm bills, it's been 6th out of 5 in priorities, 11th out of 10. And man, are we falling behind on the international stage in terms of our support for ag research. We can't always leave that to the corporations.
0: Another aspect that needs improvement is agricultural trade
4: we're lifting up international trade. And for sure, the current administration's paying some attention to that. But the complete walk away from what I've always known as a free trade agreement and the focus on market access, which is largely bringing tariffs down, has just been vacated. There's no attention at all being paid to that. We're lifting up trade policy.
0: Again, that's NASDAQ CEO Ted McKinney. Well, if you were lucky enough to try any of last season's Pacific Northwest cherries, you know that the quality was outstanding. But Northwest Cherry Growers President B.J. Thurlby says it was the most frustrating year in his nearly 30 years at the industry, thanks to a lack of communications with California growers.
7: You know, when we started to pick around the 15th of June, California had, you know, three or four million boxes on the floor still and was still picking. Got behind because their fruit was, it was okay, but it, they were shipping old fruit, you know, and they got behind and once it got to the market, it was sitting on the shelves between 10 99 a pound to 5.99 to and it just didn't move. And that, Thurlby
0: says, put some buyers off.
7: You know, there's some portions of the United States right now that really believe they're in a recession, whether they are or not is another story, but the reality is, is some people think that, and people have been kind of in a frugal mode. You know, cherries are an impulse item, and part of the thing that pulls them through the system is they're seasonal, exciting, something different. But if you, you're a consumer and you can get grapes for a buck ninety-nine, you know, cherries have to be at least semi-close to that. Thurlby says the prices didn't add up. Our particular target price for ads would probably be in that. 359 to 399 range, because at that price, a consumer continues to get a good deal and the growers can actually make a little bit of money on the back end. You know, at the same time, there needs to be some hot ads out there during the season too, whether they're, you know, 299 or whatever. We need to see that. And we didn't really see that pricing last year until the third week of July. And Thurlby
0: wonders, had growers known...
7: You know, and this is way before California ever came out and said, holy smokes, we've missed our window for Dormex. We've missed our opportunity to hit the Memorial Day weekend, and we got problems here. Of course, we didn't hear about that until the forest was burning down and on fire around us as we started to pick. Usually, our first cherries have a bit of a premium on them, and this year, there was not at all. So, you know, all the growers kind of got, you know, shortchanged in terms of what the value of the fruit was, because it was great fruit.
0: Thurlby says talks between California and Northwest cherry growers are ongoing to avoid similar issues down the road. Well, the fate of a new farm bill rests not just with ag lawmakers, but House and Senate appropriators and leaders feuding about spending and border issues, eating up precious floor time in an election year. Passing a long overdue farm bill is tough enough given partisan differences over funding farm versus feeding programs made worse by election year politics, but add in other fights over languishing spending bills, border security, foreign military aid, and a major tax bill and farm bill odds look dimmer this year. West Virginia GOP Senator and Appropriator Shelley Moore Capito.
1: The uh, farm bill, here's another major piece of legislation that's coming before us that impacts food supply, nutrition, our ag community, many, 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 many jobs uh, all across this country. And yet we're in another extension.
0: The extension came after the 2018 farm bill expired four months ago and writing a new one's been held up by Appropriations Gridlock, likely to continue at least into March and two new shutdown deadlines.
1: In the last 13 months, we've only spent eight hours on appropriations. This is a major responsibility for the Senate and the House and the President to get this right every year. We are now six months behind.
0: With only short-term stopgap bills keeping the government funded. Now, House Ag Chair Glenn G.T. Thompson has said he wants to start farm bill action in March, but has made getting available floor time a condition. But that will hinge on ending a spending standoff between the House GOP and Senate Democrats as one side tries to wait out the other.
1: Six months ago, we will have passed out of committee every single bill. And yet, except for the three we passed in, I believe, late October, early November, no action crickets by the leadership here.
0: And once again, that is comments with West Virginia Republican Senator Shelley Moore Capito. Well, Britain has halted negotiations on a potential free trade deal with Canada because of dissatisfaction by both sides over a lack of access to each other's agricultural markets. Reuters says the talks first launched in March 2022. Canadian negotiators say they're disappointed that the UK put a pause on the negotiations, noting that Britain's decision to keep barriers up for Canada's agricultural market access is what's stalling the negotiations. Canada's farmers are complaining that they've been all but shut out of Britain's beef market because of regulations banning the use of artificial hormones. A UK spokesperson posted on X Twitter that they reserve the right to call a pause on negotiations with any country if we don't think progress is getting made. Now, before Britain made its exit from the European Union trading sphere at the end of 2020, Canada rolled over existing trade agreements to ensure that free trade could continue. And with that, we are out of time here on Market Talk today. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day.